and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. We are very excited to be back for Series 5, which we are collaborating with the Freelance Journalism Assembly. If you don't know about them, they're part of the European Journalism Centre and they offer a great set of resources for freelance journalists, including a series of reporting guides. Yes, all their resources are free to access, um, including their upcoming Freelance Journalism Empowerment Conference, which is on the 8th to the 10th of June. So head over to journalismassembly.com to find out more about that and get your place and sign up. Have a look at any other resources that they've got on their website. Yeah, so this series, we're going to be covering a range of topics that have been at the top of their agenda, and there have also been things that we've been really keen to cover as well. Yeah, so before we start and introduce this week's topic and our guests, I I think we should probably have a quick catch-up, Lily, on what we have been up to since Series 4 ended in April. (laughs) It's kind of where to start, isn't it? It's only been a few weeks, but um, it seems like we've done loads. Uh, So we we did some more webinars. We launched our Journalism Work Experience Initiative, and that's been really great. We've actually got one of them with us today, sitting in and shadowing. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of been the main thing, really, those webinars that we've been getting underway. Yeah, and uh, as we're recording this, we're just about to start our next online four-week course we're getting ready for that that's with journalism.co.uk that starts on the 14th of June and if you're quick there are still a few places left yeah and we've also been working on some mini guides although I must admit these have been slipping a little bit uh, because we've had so much of our own freelance work but we hope to bring you those guides very soon Yes, this is an excellent idea. One of Lily's excellent ideas that she always has. The problem is that we need another 50 pair of hands in order to be able to do this, but we will get them to uh, those to you soon. Uh, And if you want to know more about any of this or any of the webinars that we've got coming up, we have a programme of lunchtime webinars through the year. Uh, You can find all the details on our website at freelancingforjournalists.com. Yeah, and another kind of, I suppose, slightly weird thing that happened in the last few weeks is Emma and I have actually seen each other in the flesh, which was very weird. Um, Because actually we live 100 miles apart and kind of during the pandemic, we've been communicating mainly on WhatsApp, a bit of email and Zoom, obviously. Um, But we have met up for a couple of ultramarathons, as you do, uh, recently. So that was nice. Yeah, I mean, the things you'll do to get out of the house. Um, But we've still not got any new professional photos of us, which we really need because we just keep using those ones from 2018, 2019. Um, But we can't really have photos of us looking exhausted at the end of a ultramarathon because that's not really what the professional look that we're aiming for. (laughs) So we'll have to find time to do that as well at some point. Yeah, we will at some point. Okay, let's move on to our topic for this week, which is solutions journalism. Yeah, so there's been a lot of interest in the past few years in solutions journalism, including from some large mainstream media organisations such as the BBC and New York Times. Um, But it's not something we know a great deal about. We wanted to find out more about what it is, how to do it and why freelancers should care about it. 
Yeah. And this is a topic actually I came across whilst I was doing my PhD. I actually got it off my shelf the other day and my husband was like, what was that massive black thing on your desk? I was like, that was my PhD. Um, But anyway, my PhD kind of focused on audience engagement in online local news. And part of that I read, um, and apologies if I don't pronounce this correctly, but Kovac and Rosenstiel's book, The Elements of Journalism, which I believe was written in the late 1990s. Um, And this was the first time I'd kind of really come across journalism being talked about in a different way. The way we were taught was very much the kind of, uh, to quote, a blood, sweat and semen approach. Like every story has to have at least one of those elements in it. Um, But with the elements of journalism, this book, it very much focused on civic engagement, providing a forum to improve the quality of debate in society and and really enabling citizens to make informed choices. Um, And within this is the kind of practice of journalists providing solutions to problems rather than simply reporting on negative things happening. So it kind of, when we said we were going to do this topic, I kind of thought, oh, this this reminds me. I I have learned about this in the past, um, but very much kind of really pre-digital age. So I'm really interested to see how this approach has grown, become more prevalent prevalent in recent years and we've got two expert guests this week that are going to really help us chart this movement. Yeah so we're going to bring them in in a second but first I thought it might be quite useful to do a quick explainer on exactly what we mean by solutions journalism, bit of a definition for everyone. So as Lily said journalism traditionally were kind of focuses on negative stories events problems um, in the world where things have gone wrong I suppose Um, and that's kind of what when you're doing often doing journalism degrees and things that's the kind of reporting and writing that you're taught about and so by contrast to that solutions journalism is all about looking in depth sort of an evidence-based look at the response to a problem so looking at what works what evidence there is to to solve an issue yeah and it involves vigorous reporting on responses to a social solution so an example of this might be how to reform policing or providing access to healthcare in a rural area or tackling climate issues for example factory pollution um it could even focus on a local project to tackle a particular issue or something more broad and it is different to campaign journalism which is perhaps another term that we're kind of used to using maybe see a little bit more of um, particularly in the British press. Yeah so we've got two perfectly placed guests this week to teach us more about why it's important and how we can do it. So first we have Jules Hotz who's a freelance journalist and communities manager at the Solutions Journalism Network. Hi. Hi good morning. Thanks so much for coming and speaking to us today as well as um, helping other journalists report on what's working. Julia has written Solutions Journalism for New York New York Times, Boston Globe, Scientific American, Vice, and many, many more. Her particular focus is around loneliness and reimagining the future of work. And we also have with us Laura Oliver, a freelance writer, editor, and digital media consultant. Hi there, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. Laura is an experienced journalist and trainer with a background in audience engagement, community management, and social media. She's reporting the the guides for the freelance journalism assembly including one on solutions journalism and recently wrote about what solution journalism is bringing to the news media in the global south for the reuters institute for the study of journalism 
So thank you both for joining us. I think we've got our perfect guests for this uh, episode. Um, we usually start a podcast with our top tips, but as this is an area where you two have way more experience and knowledge than Lily and I on this, we're going to go straight to you. So Jules, what would be your key bit of advice for someone wanting to get into solutions journalism, but maybe not knowing where to start? Well, thank you so much. First of all, that blood, sweat, and semen, I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> that, is, uh, <laughs> that, is, that is not what solutions journalism is in a good way. Um, I would say that for someone who wanted to get started with solutions journalism, you know, it, it's really friendly to journalists who have been reporting on a certain beat. So let's say your beat is climate change. And maybe you're used to in your reporting, you know, following the different reports from around the globe that talk about, you know, the carbon levels in the atmosphere, air pollution, things like that. Well, instead of focusing on, you know, who are the biggest contributors to this problem, you shift the focus and think about who are the biggest contributors to this solution. In other words, who is doing it better? Who's doing a good job at reducing some of the consequences of climate change? Which cities have reduced air pollution? Which um, places around the world have had success with regenerative farming? You basically take the issue, divide it into small slices, and go in with that framework of investigating who's doing it better and how. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's kind of flipping it on its head. Um, and I wonder, Laura, sort of same question to you is kind of from a freelance journalist perspective, kind of what do they need to understand about solutions journalism? So from the freelance journalists I've spoken to in preparing the, the guide for the journalism assembly, a lot of them have said the same thing, which is it's really crucial to be quite specific about either the solution or, or the solution to, and the problem that you're reporting on. So what is precisely the problem that this solution is trying to solve? Um, a good example would be rather than having a headline that is kind of this trash eating bus solves climate change. It's like, well, let's break that down a bit, actually. What aspect of the climate problem is this tackling? Um, so get into the detail. What's the context? Where is this happening? And what are the local factors or other factors that might make this solution possible in this place or might create challenges to it somewhere else? So the idea being that you really show the reader how this solution might work, uh, possibly where they are, um, and how it might not apply elsewhere. So focus on the local um, with lessons that could apply more broadly. And actually for freelance journalists, I think it's that's pretty helpful when you're putting a pitch together as well, is getting into those specifics and, and really kind of focusing in on one particular response. That's really interesting because that ties in really nicely with kind of advice we give on pitching in general and knowing exactly what your story is. Um, so it's not kind of complete alien concept to, to journalists. Um, Jules, tell us a bit more about yourself and how you got into solutions journalism. And I'm going to ask you a, a separate bit to that question as well, which may be impossible to answer. But if you had like one piece that you've done that really stands out for you as embodying what we mean by solutions journalism, if you had the example, that might be quite useful. Absolutely. I mean, 
those two questions actually kind of go hand in hand. I can talk a little bit about my first solutions journalism story, um, which actually began when I was in England. I was studying at um, University of Cambridge, getting my master's in sociology. And at the time, this was 2018, the government had just announced a minister of loneliness. And I thought that, I don't know, do you remember that? Mm, this was like- Yeah, this is, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it had to do with the fact that loneliness is actually really tied to our physical health. And in a place like England, you know, where um, the medical system is such that, you know, it, it's um, the whole country is kind of bearing that burden. This was kind of a really urgent thing. What can we do about this chronic problem of loneliness? So I began researching that and interviewing people who were lonely using a scale. And I wrote my dissertation. My supervisor said, you know, this is really lovely, but this is um, this is not a thesis. This is not academia. This is journalism. And, you know, I didn't quite know, I didn't quite realize it at the time, but it actually was focused on solutions journalism because it wasn't just looking at the problem of loneliness. How had the experts defined it? What had the lit literature said about it? But it was going to people who had ex experienced this um, and sort of asking them, you know, if you were the minister of loneliness, what would you do? And through their suggestions, you know, we want community cooking clubs, we want groups, we want public spaces where we can really easily meet people. Um, that directed me to different places around the world that had actually followed up on some of those solutions. So one of my first stories was actually about this program called Men's Sheds, which started in Australia. And it's about um, sort of a community group in which older men who are, you know, no longer working and maybe sort of without meaningful social connections in their lives, well, they get together in the town and they work on projects together. And there's this real culture of being able to open up and speak to one another and have those deep friendships. Um, so that was, the rest was history. I, <laughs> my supervisor was happy about that. There was no more academia in my future. And I shifted to journalism and specifically solutions journalism. And it's just been so fulfilling to meet people like Laura and journalists from all around the world that are doing this reporting in so many different beats. Yeah, it, it's, it's really, really fascinating. And I think it's something perhaps we should all kind of be thinking about a lot more and and Laura I wanted to bring you in on this because you've been doing some reporting on solutions journalism I mean do you think this is something that all of us as freelance journalists should be doing more of I mean again from the from the experts like Jules and people I've spoken to um a lot have said the same thing which is you know this is a this is a kind of a framework an entry point that you can use to almost any kind of reporting so don't feel that you have to suddenly kind of switch everything you're doing um and learn something totally new it's actually something that you can apply to lots of different stories and interestingly as part of that again the freelancers i've spoken to um either they were doing solutions journalism but perhaps they they hadn't kind of branded it as such, um, or they decided that they wanted to pursue some stories um, that were really kind of passion projects to them, or that they felt were taking a slightly different view on a story, rather than reporting the problem again, looking at kind of the response to it. And all of them have said similar things, which is it's really helped them kind of reconnect with why they were doing journalism in the first place, 
giving them more of a sense of sort of purpose, particularly in the year, you know, we're all coming out of. Um, and even a few said, you know, it's a real respite from sort of burnout of reporting the same stories over and over again, or perhaps always having to look at a particular subject through the same lens of what's going wrong or, or you know, what's the latest development. Um, so I think it gives us a chance to kind of do our work slightly differently. Um, the other thing I wanted to say on that is reporting on solutions journalism. I've been very fortunate enough to speak to lots of journalists working all around the world. Um, and those particularly working outside of, I'd say, the US um, and Europe, although it does apply to communities there too, have said that solutions journalism is a really great chance for journalists in their region to kind of reclaim some of the stories about their country or their community or where they are in the world, where often the dominant narrative is is very negative or you only ever hear about problems or conflict or crime. And actually this is a chance for them to examine, it's not cheerleading, but it's saying, let's examine the things that are actually going right or the people who are trying to make a difference or to respond to some of those really difficult challenges that we have in our in our place um and i i love that sense of kind of giving the journalists a bit more agency but also probably giving their audience there a bit more agency too yeah that's it's really interesting what you said because when i was looking um researching for this podcast i was thinking about what solutions journalism was and i was thinking there are actually quite a few features and stories that i've done along the way that i never would have put thought of as solution journalism but they are looking at how a team or a you know usually within healthcare have kind of tackled a problem or tried to do something differently um so it kind of does fall into that uh category and especially during covid when it's just been constantly reporting on kind of the pandemic and the negative things about that doing these odd stories here and there of kind of teams in hospitals who or primary care or whoever who've just right we're going to just do it this way because this is what we need to do to and just done a completely different way of providing care or doing something it's actually really refreshing to report on those things rather than just doing the woe is me stories all the time and Jules the the solutions journalism network was founded in the US in 2013 but I have to admit that I only heard this term for the first time in the past couple of years I mean can you tell us a bit more about how the interest in this concept has grown and perhaps the role the network has had in that Totally. I, I really think it goes right back to what you were just saying, Emma, about, you know, the sort of the relentless focus on negative coverage and audiences are really sick of that. In fact, we have some statistics from the Reuters Institute. Um, they did a study in 2019. They found that news avoidance was at an all time high. And the number one reason for that was because audiences found the news too negative. The number two reason was that people didn't feel like there was anything they can do about the problem-focused reporting. And we saw that so much this past year with the COVID coverage, right? It, here in the U.S., we had the CDC warning people to limit their news coverage because it was producing just such a, right, <laughs> Laura's face right now, it was producing just such a... Um, terrible mental health consequences in people. So I think that solutions journalism intuitively answers a lot of the questions people are having about journalism right now. It's addressing a lot of the problems of relentlessly negative focused coverage, um, audience engagement, 
we find audiences are more likely to click on solution stories. They're more likely to share them. Um, there's been a lot of success around people wanting to pay for solution stories, funders as well. So, you know, I, I think that, yes, this, um, this practice really is gaining steam right now because it's addressing so many problems in journalism. And what's really beautiful about it since those early 2013 days where you know, it was, it was just a small group of people defining what solutions journalism is, hosting these small trainings. Um, it's really taken on a life of its own. As Laura has pointed to in her reporting, you know, there are people all around the world just sort of independently finding their way to solutions journalism. It's almost like we're hosting a potluck dinner, but everyone, and all we're saying is, you know, bring something with cheese in it. And people are kind of bringing their own variation of solutions journalism from all around the world. It's really beautiful. Yeah. And it's so true that it it's almost sort of happening without kind of you necessarily being conscious of it. I mean, Emma talked about some examples of stories she's worked on. And it just reminded me last week, I was listening to a program on Radio 4 um, that was about zero carbon farming. And it was about a particular farm and the approach they were taking and how that could be rolled out to pretty much all farms. And looking back and thinking about it now, I was thinking, well, that was a solutions journalism approach. Um, so it's obviously happening, but it's not necessarily, we're kind of stamping it as as solutions journalism all the time but maybe there is a bit of a shift in the way in which you know journalists are um approaching some of those stories and laura i wanted to ask you sort of more specifically um about um a report you wrote on um solutions journalism and how it's being used in in countries like egypt indonesia costa rica philippines um can you talk us through some of those stories and and the impact that they they may have had for the journalists and also those that they were reporting on absolutely um so yes i was lucky enough to be reporting on kind of as you said the growth of solutions journalism as a as an idea or a way of working um, outside of of the global north Um, and what was great was speaking to journalists a lot of whom were independent journalists um, some of whom had set up their own um, news outlets with a solutions focus there was a, a lot of kind of common themes coming through as to why solutions journalism worked for them and one really strong thing that came across was that solutions a solutions focus offers a way to tell stories of kind of underrepresented voices or actors or people who might be covered by the media but maybe a a very different way and and rarely as people who are creating solutions or creating their own agency um so i spoke to a really excellent journalist in the philippines portia um ladrido who straight out of uni kind of got interested in solutions journalism and actually set up a kind of group of other um grad students very early on called incline and now she's reporting um out of the philippines and one of the piece she wrote which focused on um, women uh, who had lost their livelihoods during COVID in the Philippines kind of setting up their own entrepreneurial businesses one in particular focusing around sewing skills um, and kind of creating their own goods and products uh, for sale Um, but she said the most gratifying thing about reporting that story wasn't just the um, she could really go into detail about how this particular community had responded to um, this economic crisis was that uh, 
her reporting prompted loads of inquiries from people who'd read it, who wanted to support the women, who wanted to buy their products, who wanted to commission them to do things too. And she said she just felt like, compared to other things she'd reported on, there was a real sense of uh, journalist, audience, and the women all kind of working together. Um, and that it wasn't just, you know, that she had some case studies or these women were kind of the subject of her story. Um, it was treating them as, as, as something more more than that, as a response to a local problem, but that a problem that probably is experienced in quite a lot of places around the world. Um, something else that came through really strongly was sort of restoring a, a kind of voice or a sense of, sort of pride uh, or resilience uh into the communities that people are reporting on. So um, I spoke to an excellent um, team in Costa Rica who ran a site called La Voz de Guanacaste. Um, and they were saying the other thing about solutions journalism for them is they're often reporting on ideas or challenges or responses that might be more relevant to their audiences than uh, reporting on it through a kind of global scale. So they, report, they were reporting on... Um, solutions to kind of overfishing or coastal erosion or climate adaptation um, and actually turning their attention towards more everyday problems that their audience might also experience um, is more appealing um, to both the communities they're reporting on but the people that might read their stuff um, yeah I mean I could talk all day about the great stuff going on because it's just so interesting but the, the final thing I'd just mentioned on that is I also spoke to some photojournalists um, so it's not just we're not just talking about you know text uh, written reporting here as well um, and actually that's interesting because using visual storytelling as well to document kind of solutions is incredibly powerful because it's another way as well to communicate those solutions to groups that might not uh, you know understand text or might uh, speak a different language so particularly if you're trying to share stuff with indigenous audiences too and some great stuff being done there in Indonesia and that vein. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's one way to make huge issues like climate change accessible for people and kind of a way into understanding what that might mean for them or because I guess that can be overwhelming, can't it? How can I, as one person, kind of do anything to solve climate change? And um, what I want to do, I do really want to get into some kind of practical, nitty gritty stuff now um, with my freelance hat on so obviously we need to get commissioned to write a story um in the first place so do you have any tips Jules I'll, I'll put this to you first do you have any tips um from a solutions journalism point of view for finding good ideas in the first place I suppose but then getting people to pay attention to those ideas to getting those your pitches commissioned yeah great great questions and I think if you talk to freelance journalists in our network you'll they'll agree that, you know, it, it's a really encouraging time for commissioning editors to want to do solutions journalism. And I mean, just think about that. You're an editor, you get 200 emails a day. Finally, you get an email in the subject line, instead of saying, you know, air pollution is at an all time high, you get a subject line that says this city has halved, it's, has, has cut its air pollution in half. Here's how. If you're an editor, you know, you don't know what the story is right away. And it's tapping into your curiosity as human as a human being to find out, gee, what did that city do? I want to keep reading. And an editor, of course, is thinking like a potential reader. So I do think that if you can kind of 
frame a solution story and even before that a solutions pitch as as being like a mystery that's waiting to be solved how done it mystery how did this city solve this problem how did they cut their air pollution in half how did they make their uh health care free how do you know these how done it questions um i think freelancers will have a lot of success with that and i would say in terms of finding ideas it really happens much like you'd find ideas for a non-solution story you talk to people who are involved in the problem and you ask them you know what's worked for you in your life um i'll just say one more thing about that you know a concept we love at solutions journalism network is finding the positive deviant we as journalists are so used to reporting on the worst performer like you know the U.S., for example, we are so bad at being able to provide childcare for parents at work. So the positive deviant approach asks the opposite question. It asks, who's the best performer at this and how did they do it? So an example of that is, you know, the country of France actually has a really great childcare system. And one of the journalists in our network, Ali Asgar Abedi, he has a show on YouTube, it's called America First, that takes that positive deviant approach and asks, you know, okay, here in the US, we have a really crappy childcare system. What can we learn from the positive deviant? What can we learn from France that has managed to make its childcare system so much better? Um, so I would say doing that research on the positive deviant and yeah, really framing a solution story like a mystery that's just waiting to be uncovered. But I mean, would it be right in saying that it isn't always about kind of providing the solution can it be about looking at not just what works but what doesn't and and how how do you then frame that if this is meant to be sort of solutions journalism and, and the solution isn't as clear cut right I'm, I'm so glad you said that Lily because that touches on a really important point we always make at solutions journalism network the last thing we want to be doing is you know or is for these pieces to read like PR pieces. You know, hey, there's this great thing and there we go. No, we're journalists. We know that no solution is perfect. Every policy has its flaws and it's our job. We consider it essential for doing solutions journalism to be able to speak candidly about those limitations. So going back to that France example, you know, sure, they've got childcare for all, but it's really expensive. Can the U.S. be able to is the U.S. able to do that in, the, you know, our many other problems we've got going on? Maybe not. It's the journalist's job to tease out that conflict and really uncover those limitations to make it an interesting story. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you raised that point. It's so essential. I mean, one thing I was wondering about is whether, so I've seen the BBC, for example, talk about how they want to do more solutions journalism and uh, the New York Times um, have talked about that as well. I wonder if it's something that there are some newsrooms or organisations that have yet to be convinced of this approach. Um, I mean, I do wonder if part of that is maybe just not putting a label on it just giving them good stories and not calling it solutions journalism because they think that's perhaps something academic or something that they don't do or they don't understand whereas you as the journalist don't have to put a label on it you're just providing them with a good story but you know that you're approaching it in a different way Laura what do you what do you think about that I think that's a really great point 
So we're really fortunate we have networks like the Solutions Journalism Network who are doing a great job of providing resources and training and collaborating with newsrooms and freelancers to try and kind of get you know, this idea across that this is a different way of doing things and these are the benefits. If you're an individual freelancer, by all means, you if you want to try and change the culture of like, say, a legacy newsroom that is a bit skeptical about this, you go for it. But you don't have to do that on your own. You could also just turn this into a really strong pitch, which essentially is what I think the models that both um, SJN network and other publications like uh, the Christian Science Monitor have their own approach as well. These are really good models for a great pitch, right? It is you're very clear about what the story is. You've identified where the evidence is, both in terms of what's working and what's not working. You've looked at the limitations and you're going to speak to people who are both part of the project, but probably people who aren't part of it too, to get that balance. So all in all, this just sounds like a great story. So I would agree that if you are pitching a solution story and it's to a publication that you know, you've done your homework and you're not sure that they actually tend to run, so, you know, they don't have their own kind of solutions brand, that, that's totally fine. Think about, actually, this could really strengthen my pitch. Um, and I just, like you said, I don't need to label it as a, hey, this is a solution story. Actually, no, this is just a really strong story idea. Um, but what you can do is say, and this is why it's different to your other coverage on this topic because actually I found someone, you know, maybe it is the positive deviant or maybe it's the partway solution to this issue. So I agree with you. I think there is a big challenge there. It's great to see so many publications um, coming up with either their own series, but we want to be careful as well, right? We don't just want to siphon off solutions journalism into, you know, into its own vertical all the time either. It'd be great if this was just more a part of our you know, reporting discussions or our newsroom commissioning meetings um, is to look at both sides of the, the problem. And I'll just say, I, I love how you explain that, Laura. The most success we've had with getting those reluctant newsrooms on board is defying solutions journalism as investigative journalism into what's going right. You know, investigative journalism, that's like the bread and butter of journalism. And once people hear that phrase and they can understand that this isn't, you know, PR, these aren't puff pieces, this is really rigorous in-depth reporting, but it's just shifting the focus. Instead of what's going wrong, you're looking at what's going right. And you're holding, like if you live in a city that has this chronic problem and you're investigating what this other city has done about it, you're holding them to account. So you still get all the benefits of the, you know, hardcore investigative journalism. You're just shifting the focus. Um, and I, I just I totally agree with Laura. It doesn't matter if you call it solutions journalism or not. As long as the ingredients are there, you know, more power to you. We don't care. <laughs> and you, you both mentioned training as well and that the Solutions Journalism Network does a lot of um, training around this. Um, but I just wonder kind of what that training is, what it might encompass and you know, in order to do solutions journalism effectively, are there kind of new skills that you need to learn? Perhaps, Jules, I could ask you first. Yeah, sure. We do trainings once a month, free webinars to um, anyone in the world who wants to take it. And beyond just kind of covering what it is and, and the reason why so many journalists are doing it, we do start to go into the how do you do it? You know, where do you find these story ideas? What sort of questions do you ask? 
as you know, solution to journalism because evidence is so essential to telling the story. Um, we try to help journalists find data and be able to interpret that data. You know, what does what what are the metrics of success that we're looking for? Where can we what databases can we use to find those positive deviants? Um, so we offer lots of different trainings based on method, based on beat, and and those are some of the skills that we try to pass along, uncovering data, interviewing, um, being careful about, you know, how do you investigate limitations? Because again, those are so crucial to the solution story. Um, so yeah, it's digging into those four core ingredients of solutions journalism, the response, evidence of the response's effectiveness, limitations as to where that response falls short, and insights that can help others respond. Um, we're gonna we could talk it's fascinating hearing you two talk about this um we're gonna have to wrap up soon um but we do have a lot of uh young journalists and students who listen to this podcast um and I was just a bit interested about universities and schools of journalism is this something that they have have started to pay attention to or should be paying greater attention to rather than that kind of just old style style journalism that Lily and I um, we're taught with the body fluids that we won't mention uh, again. <laughs> uh, Laura, what do you think? I have come across um, some journalism schools that have started to introduce discussions about this or bring in guest speakers. I was really interested, again, speaking to some of the journalists um, in different parts of the world who said they, as well as going into journalism schools, kind of are happy to do any kind of workshops or training with to be honest pretty much any sector because if you bring together people working in different fields who are looking for solutions to problems you're going to find interesting stories there so there's quite a lot of it's quite a rich theme for kind of uh bringing different sectors different industries together for trainings too but I think um for for trainee reporters for student reporters people are just about to graduate um I would say if it's not being offered um or you hadn't come across this before in your training do go and seek out um the free trainings that are available like this you know either through the European Journalism Centre through the work that Jules and her team are doing through um uh, some of the other initiatives that are going on around the world you know there's even there's like these great kind of Facebook groups and stuff, which are peer to peer learning from other journalists who are doing this and are really supportive. Um, so I think there's a great opportunity to learn and see whether this is something that actually could generate some new ideas for you or opportunities for you that you hadn't come across yet. I'd love to see it on more um, curricula. Um, it's certain, I mean, it's a while since I was at J school, but it's it certainly wasn't anywhere on the uh, agenda back then. <laughs> No, and I think it's Lily would probably nod her head vigorously at this when I say it can be quite hard to change journalism curricula, but doing things like guest guest lectures and getting people in to talk about how they've done it and, you know, I'm doing a different approach. Have you thought about doing it this way? That's quite a simple thing to um, put in place. Jules, I think you've, the SJN has worked with various colleges and universities as well, haven't they? You know, they have, and I'll, this is actually kind of hot off the press. Um, just last week, we had a high school student do what we think is one of the first solution stories, a 16 year old. And I just, I love talking about that because it, it really gives me hope to think that this next 
generation of journalists have a really open mind about what journalism can be. They've sort of come to age with so much suffering and witnessing systems failing, and they understand the urgency of solutions journalism. I think in a way that, you know, more more veteran journalists who are have been brought up in the sort of, if it bleeds, it leads tradition. Um, I think that's not really intuitive anymore to people studying journalism now. And so I'm very hopeful about high school students, um, university students, all just really intuitively understanding this approach. That is a very, very positive place to leave our discussion. So we are, I'm going to move straight on to our listener dilemma of the week. So this is the section of the podcast where we put your questions to our guests and fix a problem, hopefully fix a problem that you've been having, or just give our thoughts on something that you've been wondering about. Yeah, it's our very own solutions journalism. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this week, the dilemma is from Kerry via our Facebook group. And she asks, how do you pitch for more regular work? Um, I'm going to kick off with this because um, I did something yesterday that I've never done before. um, And I guess it's one of the positive things to come out of the pandemic. But I had a virtual coffee with an editor. um, And because I'm not based in London, I would never... think to have a coffee with an editor because most of them are are based in London Um, and it just dawned on me that I could do this online and basically it was a really good opportunity to kind of find out more about what sort of stories she was after what kind of things they've got coming up in the pipeline also things like what time of day to pitch to her um, and what I'm doing right you know what what feedback could she give me and also to talk about rates and what I didn't realize was the rates were a bit more flexible than I perhaps thought so that was that was a nice bit of news um so really my advice would be you know if you if you've done one or two things for an editor and you're looking to get more regular work maybe for them to come to you when they've got ideas um it's basically just set up that meeting with them and now it's so easy to do it online you know you can do it can only take 10 minutes just set up a quick zoom chat um and kind of just get to know them a bit more that that that's my thoughts kind of what's your advice emma yeah so that's a really good um starting point i mean generally it just falls into that category of making yourself indispensable so knowing what it is that they want um you know being available answering um email queries quickly if they've said you know have you got time to take something on be helpful make sure that you're sticking to the brief so that you've made their job easy in any previous work that you've had you know you've given them clean copy and any boxes or tables or photos or extra things that they need you've you've done it and you've you know stuck to the style and followed that you know what they asked for um because editors that's all they want they want someone who's reliable and will hit that deadline um, and will do what they've been asked to do so sometimes it is just about being that helpful indispensable useful person and from speaking to editors I'm quite often surprised at how often they say that doesn't happen so you can actually set yourself apart by doing that and everybody's nodding very vigorously here (laughs) Jules have you got any um, other advice for this this topic a lot, a lot of strong nods over here. Um, you know, I would give advice that comes from one of my colleagues and personal heroes, um, Tina Rosenberg. She was one of the co-founders of Solutions Journalism Network. And I've heard her say to, um, as just a general piece of advice, you 
find sort of the beat, the issue area that you love and really stick to that. Become the person, become the journalist that's associated with that beat. I found that to be super, super helpful in my reporting on loneliness. You know, um, unfortunately with COVID, it is something that has come up for the problems it's producing in the news. And so it's been great to have editors reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I've read you do a lot of reporting on loneliness. I'd love to here if you have any pitches or I'd love to commission you this story. Um, so I would say, yeah, do a little soul searching within, find out sort of what you're really passionate about and pursue that beat full force, become the journalists that's known for that beat. So editors know where to find you. We've covered a lot of ground here with our recommendations. <laughs> I would say, Laura, you've got the worst job of going last. Um, and if you've still got any advice left after we've... I, I suppose I would just maybe conclude it in that I feel there's there's kind of two routes right to securing more regular pitching the first is the more brazen and bold route which is maybe you think this shouldn't just be one story maybe you think there's a whole series in this or as Jules was just saying maybe you think there's a beat here if you really feel that strongly and you've got the kind of work and idea to back it up then I would say go for it but do your homework on whoever you're pitching to and make sure it's the sort of thing that they would you know perhaps they've done this in the past perhaps they have space for it or they might have budget for it the second is to do what I think you guys are saying which is by sort of stealth and make yourself just so reliable but also communicate things like oh I happen to be more available by the way coming up you know I've got some more time perhaps you have shifts that I didn't know about you know those kind of things and find out when they're when are their commissioning meetings like Lily said you know what day of the week so that you get into kind of their habits and then you might become one of their regulars uh without them even realizing yes that's I like the idea of like just becoming a regular by stealth <laughs> as you've just snuck your way in there just by being you know just useful which is always good. Okay, so uh, thank you both for your uh, wonderful advice there. It's time to bring this episode to um, a close. I've learned so much about solutions journalism and it's been really fascinating. Um, and it's really got me thinking actually about pitches and kind of story ideas. So uh, that's always a sign of a good episode. Yeah, definitely. My brain is whirring now with ideas. That's been been really inspiring. Um, just to say to our listeners, if you'd like to know more about us, including um, how to sign up to our newsletter, then head over to freelancingforjournalists.com. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, where we are at Freelancing4. Um, and individually, you can follow us as well. I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. Um, if you haven't already, head over and join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community. So much support and advice in there. Um, so definitely worth uh, coming and signing up. And more recently, you can find us on Instagram. Yep. And if you feel like giving us a thumbs up or a re review of the podcast, we'd love to hear your feedback and it really helps spread the word. Our producer for this series is Anthony Keat. So thanks to him for sorting out any edits. And also thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn. And just to let you know that next week we'll be talking all about collaboration. Goodbye for now. Bye.